Jesus will help to loose those shackles, loose those chains around your heart, around your mind this morning. Let's praise our God this morning. Let's be like David. I will bless the Lord at all times.
God, I'm so thankful for your presence. I'm so thankful for your presence here with us today. And that you will never, ever, 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 never leave us. Amen. Almighty Fortress is our God. Let's rejoice together. Sing this wonderful hymn, Triumph and Victory. do the battle. Let's sing it, man. And though this world
serve a God who cannot fail, a God who cannot be defeated. And we're on his side, amen? More importantly, he's on our side. Amen? And if God is for us, who can be against us? Let's read this next psalm with that conviction. Psalm chapter 46, responsibly. All together now. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling Selah. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. He's with us. Aren't you glad he's with us? You may be seated in his presence. And the Bible says that in his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, our eternal pleasures. Let's bask then in the presence of Jehovah, our God. In the presence of Jehovah, God Almighty.
God's people said, amen. What a fitting song as we now prepare to go into a time of intercession in his presence. This is now an opportunity for us to do our personal reflection as we open our hearts to God as we speak with him God knows our hearts but God wants us to acknowledge whatever there may be between us and him this morning that we know we need to confess so let us take some time to talk quietly with him acknowledging our sin remembering that Jesus says that if we confess our sin he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and so Lord this morning it is always a privilege no matter where we are no matter who we are it is always a privilege to be able to come into your presence where we can be truthful with you where we can honestly admit our sin this morning help us to do so the good thing no matter what it is no matter what it is we may have done said or even thought in the privacy of our own hearts we could confess being assured being confident that if we confess our sin he is faithful and just and promised to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness also know of family loved ones friends co-workers neighbors as far as you know may still be outside of a relationship with Christ this is an opportunity to pray for them as usual calling them by name praying that they would be convicted by the Spirit of, of our Lord that they may come to place faith in Him that they may come back to fellowship if they've gotten out of fellowship with Him please 
them by name. Bring them before the Lord. Praying for their salvation. And of course, we remember to pray for those who are sick among us. Those in our fellowship or those who we know are part of the body of Christ, who we know at this time is still recuperating or facing surgery or getting a diagnosis done. This morning, Father, we remember Pastor Sawyer, who has, is still recuperating from surgery. We thank you that he's doing much better. Thank you for answer to prayer. Continue to bring healing in keeping with your will. Remember Donna Moxie, sister of Staria Ferguson. Had a good report from the doctor. And she will be seeing the oncologist soon. Her prayer is that no radiation or chemotherapy will be necessary when she goes tomorrow. Father, answer in keeping with your will. We pray for Brother Frankie, who suffered a fall last week. As far as we know, there was no um, broken bones, but he was pretty badly bruised and shaken. But we lift him up to you, Father. We ask your healing over him. I ask that you strengthen him. Remember Marjorie Rule, the mother of Monique Cooper, underwent eye surgery uh, last Tuesday. Pray for her continued healing in keeping with your will. Lord, we continue to pray for Jeremy Harrison, asking my father that you would lay a hand of healing over him and just continue to give him good results. We ask your blessing over him. And for Jason, his brother, continue to reveal your will according to his need and desire. And may you be glorified. Lord, we remember the sick and shodden and those being treated for cancer. Remember Claude Smith, who is still in hospital, uh, not doing well. And of course, our very own pastor, even though he's doing a lot better, um, continue to pray for him, ask your blessing over him, and also as he ministers the word at Grace later on this morning. Be with him. Being treated for cancer is Misty Aubrey Hunt, Brian Clark Sr., Gloria Lowe, Taylor Sawyer, Caroline Gronlin, Avis Monroe, Janet Shahari, and Judy Penn Robinson. Father, we bring these precious saints before you, asking your healing in the name of Jesus and keeping with your will. Our expectant mothers, Kim Wallace, Mona Lisa Rutherford. Just pray for safe delivery and healthy babies. 
pray for Alessandro, who is still recuperating from hip surgery. And Brother Ike McKenzie, still recuperating after a traffic accident. And Lord, we remember Adrian Diagulo recuperating after surgery at home. Father, we bring these matters before you and we leave them with you because you are a good God. We petition you on their behalf. And we are so thankful that we can come into your very presence and bring them before you. Touch their bodies and bring healing in the name of Jesus. Be with them in a very special way and draw them closer and closer to you. Thank you for hearing and answering, Lord. And now, Father, as we continue in our worship through our giving, our tithes and offerings, we are grateful that we could worship you through giving and that you would allow us to worship you in this way. Father, help us to remember that we are not the owners, but the managers of your resources. And so we seek your wisdom in how we can wisely manage your money. Give wisdom to those responsible for managing your money. And help us to give liberally, cheerfully, and willingly, again, that you may be glorified. So, Father, we give you thanks. And we praise you and we bless you. What a good God you are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You must help the weak, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. 
Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability, and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints, and this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Good morning. It is always a delight to welcome each and every one of you. This is an opportunity now for us to recognize uh, our visitors. And this morning, we have visiting with us Maureen Harris, sister-in-law of uh, Sister Rosie Thrower, visiting from London, England. And uh, we have another lady, Yuda Nordich, and family, another family. Uh, let us welcome them. Nice to see you, Beth. Thank you for being with us this morning, even though you said no. Couldn't let that go by. But I also have, um, from Teen Challenge, uh, two of my friends, uh, Eric Fox, uh, the head honcho down to Teen Challenge. And my brother, forgive me, we did a seminar together, but I couldn't remember your last name. Andre Chabelle. Um, wonderful testimony. You need to hear it sometime. Fantastic. Nice to have you with us this morning. But we do not want to miss anybody else. If you are here this morning, and this is your very first time you're in Calvary Bible Church, you know, service such as this, could you indicate by raising a hand? Okay, well, you've been here at least once before. Um, my brother will have an official welcome in a short while, but we also were so delightful to have Pastor uh, Bethel with us this morning, and so we'll, we'll get you in a little while. To my right, I missed him. Oh, we have a young man down to my right. Thank you. Right. Thank you for coming to us to visit with us this morning. Okay, now we'll have the 8 to 11-year-olds uh, go to their class to join the church. And while they do so, this is a time to greet all who are visiting with us this morning. Thank you.
Good morning, everybody.
I would like to ask you now, the congregation, could you kindly stand? Because I would like us to sing happy birthday to a young man who is going to be celebrating tomorrow. But this young man happens to be the speaker for today. Pastor Bethel, could you stand while we sing happy birthday to you? February yeah. 1st. February 1st. Well, that's okay. We'll, we'll do it a couple days early. Okay. And also celebrating today is uh, Sunbeam's director, Paula Delaville. Happy birthday to Paula today. And Pastor Clinton's wife was on Friday, Sister Muriel. Happy belated birthday. And hey, why not everybody who celebrated a birthday in January? Happy birthday, belated to everybody who's celebrating either today or recently in January. A happy birthday to you. A happy birthday to you, a happy birthday to you. Every day of the year, may you feel Jesus near. Happy birthday to you, a happy birthday to you. And the best year you've ever had. Uh, you may be seated. I'm sure by now you have noticed that uh, Pastor Lee is not here. That is because they had uh, a pulpit exchange. Now our pulpit is still here, but he's using Pastor Bethel's pulpit over there. So Pastor Bethel has graciously agreed to come and speak to us this morning. Uh, for those of you who may not know, he is the senior pastor at Grace Community Church in Palmetto Village. My brother, it's an honor to have you here this morning. It's uh, great to have you, and so at this time, we'd like to call you to come and bring us the message that God has imparted to you. God bless you. Best start. There we go. Well, actually, the privilege is all mine. Pastor Lee has been trying to get me to come for some time, and uh, there's always been something else to do. But this time, he had command of our pulpit, and uh, he, I guess, figured I had no excuse, and so he invited me once again. As, as has been said, today, Calvary Bible Church and Grace Community Church are having, as Pastor Lee calls it, a pulpit exchange. And it's no wonder we are two churches that share many things in common. We often share the same mission speakers, Patrick Sugdeo, Reverend Jerry Seal, Reverend Oichenek, to name a few. I must say it's normally us that gets them first, though. I need to make that clear. And then Pastor Lee tags on. But we'll leave that right here. Don't tell him I said that. We share the same passion for global missions. We both have an evangelistic zeal to save the lost. We operate with radio and TV outreaches. You both have pastors committed to challenging the social and moral issues from a biblical standard. We are committed to similar ministries that, are, that we are both known for, ministries like Awana and marriage ministries. We both believe in discipleship and fidelity to the Word of God. No surprise then that we have even swapped members on occasion. Some of ours I see here in your midst, and they will remain nameless. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Gracious Father, we are assembled here today to worship you, to lift up the glorious name 
of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is worthy of all praise, worthy of our entire consecration and love, worthy of all that we are and will ever be. Receive the worship that is rightfully yours, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, receive our praise. Spirit of God, come and minister to us. May we continue in worship with an attitude of listening that we might receive instruction. This is a prayer I make in Christ's name. Amen. Today I shall be preaching from a passage well known to our Awana workers. 2 Timothy 2.15 will be part of the arsenal of verses I will be preaching from. Of course, it's from this verse that the acronym for Awana is drawn, approved workmen are not ashamed. What many of us fail to understand is that this powerful verse comes in the midst of Paul's, the Apostle Paul's admonition to Timothy on how to live holy and set apart for God's use. Today I intend to preach from this whole passage, but not just verse 15. Please turn with me to 2 Timothy 2, 15 through 26. Follow along as I read. Give you a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 15 through 26. I'll be reading from the NIV. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. Sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood, clay, and some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Verse 23. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive, to do his will. So ends the reading of God's word. May it be blessed in our hearing. In this passage, we see Paul's desire that young Timothy be a man set apart for God's holy purposes. My purpose today is to encourage you to that same standard of holiness and also provide direction on how to come to that kind of a life of holiness. So let's get started, shall we? And first, I want to look at the purposes of a vessel. There are two main types of uses for a vessel that are mentioned in this passage. There are more to be sure, but generally I think they can be broken down into two main purposes. And they're described back in verse 20 thus. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes, and some are for ignoble or dishonorable purposes. 
The New King James Version puts it this way, some for honor and some for dishonor. Now I'm going to reverse Paul's order here and talk first about the type that is made for ignoble or dishonorable purposes. Ignoble basically means the opposite of noble. Ignoble purposes of a vassal could best be illustrated by thinking, like, thinking of things like a bedpan, a spittoon that you spit your, uh, the, your chewing tobacco into, and or a toilet. A toilet. What do you think of when you see a toilet? Let's not use the word, but what do you think of? Do you think of flowers? Do you think of monuments? Do you think of holiness when you see a toilet? No. No, you think of filth. You think of anything unworthy to be kept around. The purpose of a toilet is for ignoble purposes. It has no honor. It's meant to keep us from being contaminated with its contents. Got the idea? That's the first purpose or type of vessel. The next type of, the, of those vessels is this. A vessel for noble purposes. These types of vessels are sometimes made just for a specific or special purpose to give honor to a person or a special occasion. Here is an example of a vessel for noble purposes. I'm sure you recognize it. When you see this, I'm sure you don't think of garbage or filth. Correct? I'm pretty certain that the very presence of this vessel brings to mind holiness, brings to mind reverence, helps you to realize that you want to be in a good place with God. It brings to mind the reverence of celebrating the Lord's Supper. None of us would think of using this vessel as a bedpan, as a waste basket, as a toilet, as a spittoon. It would be the height of sacrilege. And the reason we would think that is because this vessel was made with a specific purpose in mind. It's not just an old tray for display or decoration. It has been separated and set aside for a unique and noble service. I'm sure you know where I'm going with all of this. You'll excuse me putting it so near the other ignoble vessel. What I want to get across to us today is I want to invite us to be vessels that are for noble purposes. Some might say, but, but aren't Christians already that? Look at the weight of Scripture telling Christians to clean up their act. Look at the weight of Scripture saying, don't be this way, be that, that way. Look at all the testimony of Scriptures suggesting otherwise. God is calling us to a consecration where we make ourselves. Of course, Christ has done the work first by saving us, those who call on him for the purpose of salvation. But there's an ongoing work of consecration that I'll get to in a minute. Listen to what the scripture tells us, verse 21. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, that is, a vessel for ignoble purposes, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, 
and prepare to do any good work. You want to be useful to the master? Prepared for any good work? It requires of us a sanctification, a consecration from ignoble things to noble. We need to get rid of those things that make us unclean and get a hold of those things that reflect a clean life. Yes, to be sure, many of us came to faith from a woeful life of sin, many of us. The Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. That is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. But the emphasis here on our passage for today is on Christians who need to cleanse themselves, who need to flee the evil desires of youth, who need to pursue righteousness, and who need to be careful to present themselves approved to God as workmen who do not need to be ashamed. Friend, there would be no need for Paul to have said these things to Timothy, and by extension those who would be the readers, if Christians were not finding themselves immersed in lives that were making them unclean and unholy. So let's take a look at what a clean vessel looks like as it is described for the person of God. The first, let's look at the attributes of a clean vessel. The first one is clean speech. Right there in the scriptures we see it. Listen to some of the words Paul uses here in talking about our use of speech. He says, warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene or cancer. We live in an age where that word is, we hear it so often. No one wants to uh, consider their life, their testimony as a cancer in the church. Unclean speech is considered cancerous to the life and the body of the church. Gossip, slander, malicious words, and so forth. We are told to stay away from foolish arguments and to gently instruct those who oppose us. And the the reason for that is in the hope that God would grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. You know, when we cut off our nose to spite our face, we don't get anywhere. I am someone who is very zealous for the things of God, in case you don't know. And occasionally I have gotten a holy indignation against those who are uh, opposed to the faith. At one point I was quite vicious towards the Jehovah Witness and took delight in humiliating them because their doctrines are just all wrong. There's only one problem. You've not helped them. You've not helped them. And so I've learned now to be gracious. Why? In the hope that God would grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. But if you push them into the corner and pride is reared up, well, this isn't going to happen. And so we need to be gracious in our presentation. Uh, particularly when we find ourselves dealing with those caught up in a cult where you know there's spiritual darkness involved. We've got to show Christ to them. But I could add to the whole business of clean speech, the Ephesians 4.29 passage, which further adds to this by commanding us to let no unwholesome speech come out of our mouths, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. So many times Christians are saved, but they have not mastered the tongue. And what does James say? It is a restless evil. Men tame great ships with a tiny little rudder, 
but who can tame the tongue? It is a restless evil. It is a poison. And so we must make sure that the heart is clean, what is reflected in the tongue. You know, Bahamians have this thing where if they feel it, they have a right to say it. <laughs> no, my friends. That's the flesh. You need to put the flesh to death. But Bahamians believe it's their right. If they feel it, they should say it. No way. No way. The tongue is an evil. It's a restless evil, and it must be crucified along with the rest of the body. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Quarreling, godless chatter, unwholesome speech are obviously not things that characterize Christian character. And speaking of character, that's the next thing we need to be a clean vessel. Folks, normally I have handouts, and I've just had such a busy week I didn't get to that. Uh, to me, I do not believe that you hearing me is enough. I believe in giving handouts where there are most of my notes and there's blanks for you to fill in. I believe in engaging every one of your senses. You're hearing me, you're seeing me, you, you're responding to me by writing something down. I'm trying to get all of, your, all of your senses involved in this process. Why? Because if it's God's Word being declared, you need to get it in a little deeper than just hearing. And it's so easy to forget. You walk out of here, something triggers your mind, sermon's gone. Of course, the Spirit of God could bring it back, but I believe the more I can get it in, the more I can give the Holy Spirit something to work with. Amen? So maybe next time I will have the handouts for you. Apologies, I don't have them now. As I said, beyond clean speech, there's clean character. The keys to a clean character laid out by Paul in a statement like this, do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved. It's possible to present yourself to God as one who is not approved. Not everyone will hear, well done, good and faithful service, servant. You ever realize that? You ever realize that not every believer is going to hear that? You know, I remember hitting my church with that one day. There was like, <sighs> some people had never made the connection. It was just like, that was a rite of passage. You die, well done, good and faithful service. No, 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 no. Gabe, is that so-and-so? All right, let him in. You know, there's a sense of, oh, that one. Not everyone will hear those words, good and faithful servant. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. That tells us that the word of God must be correctly handled. That's why a church must take great pains to make sure that its preacher, its teacher is equipped. Uh, they, they fear to use the word of God for their opinion, but they delight to use the word of God in revealing its truth. I believe if a pastor is going to delve into the area of opinion, he needs to say it's his opinion. Got it? And of course, there's this one. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name out of a pure, on the Lord out of a pure heart. Timothy was leading a growing church in Ephesus, and he had to be careful that his character was beyond reproach. It was extremely important that people saw Timothy was living a life that pleased God and brought honor to his name. But what about those of us who aren't in such high-profile situations as Timothy was? Are we exempt from the need of a clean character? Of course. Of course not. It's every bit as important. Clean character is necessary no matter what our station in life. So we know the difference between vessels with noble purposes and vessels 
for dishonorable purposes. And we have an idea of what a clean vessel looks like in the life of a Christian. So then we have to ask, how does one become a clean vessel? For the rest of this message, I'm going to assume that you would like to be a clean vessel. And I'm going to assume that while some of us here today are already the type of vessel that is clean and honorable for God's use, I'm also going to assume that some here are not. And the first thing that needs to happen in order to be a clean vessel is the need to be saved. Of course, the need to be saved. The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, not even one. Before I came to faith, I was a righteous sinner. I was a righteous sinner. I, I, I could go down the list of what I didn't do. Didn't lie, didn't steal, didn't cheat, didn't do all these things. So persons like me, it's hard. It's hard to get me saved because I was already on the way of being such a good person. And I brag that I was better than a lot of people who named the name of Christian who were doing wrong. It was very hard to get me saved. But I had to come to grips that I was a lost, helpless, hopeless sinner like the rest. And, um, and so all of us must come to the place where we recognize that Christ died to save the ungodly of which I am chief. So many of us have this idea that we can please God with a good life, as I was trying to. Please God with uh, de doing good things. But if the word of God is true, there's not one righteous, not even one, and that we have all become unclean. There's none who does good, not even one. Then all of us must, either by understanding or by faith, kneel at the foot of the cross, confess our sins, and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. For the Bible says it quite clearly. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. The sin that separated us from God, that we might have no relationship with him, that sin has been laid on Jesus Christ. All us who will say, Lord, I acknowledge my sinfulness before you, my lost estate, uh, the record of sin that will be my undoing come judgment day, I am asking that Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, what he has done in principle, would be a reality in my life, that sin would be removed, the condemnation taken away, that I might be saved. That's what we do when we come to faith. We recognize there's an accounting that must take place. Me and all my sin, I have no relationship with God, no matter how righteous I think I am. But Christ has been made a curse and has become a curse for me. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin on my behalf, so that through him I might become the righteousness of God. There is the need to call on him as personal Lord and Savior, removing the sin that we might have a relationship with God. And I trust that by the end of our time today, if you have not already trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, you would do so today. There's a need to be saved. That's the first thing that needs to happen if we would become clean vessels. And then, two, we need to be sanctified. We need to be sanctified. A word that is depending on the denomination you're in, takes on all manner of bizarre meanings. But I hope to help you with that today. What does sanctification mean? To be sanctified means to be set apart. In the Scripture, it specifically means being set apart for God. Jesus said in John 17 that He desires that His disciples, His followers, would be sanctified by the word of truth from the Father. 
Paul prays in 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians, excuse me, that believers there would be sanctified through and through. We see initially, set apart and sanctified, excuse me, we are initially set apart and sanctified for God's purposes when we come to Christ. And we begin to grow in Him. But beloved, there comes a time in our life when God shows up and He's looking for more from us. And God says to us, give this to me. Give this to me. You see, friends, we have idols in our hearts. It is amazing as you read the scriptures. The children of Israel came out of Egypt and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, being taught of God all those years because of their disobedience. And as they go into the promised land, we hear Joshua saying this, get rid of your idols. You mean for 40 years the people of God experiencing God in all His fullness and all of His grace, for 40 years they've had idols with them? For 40 years they have seen God show up in some huge ways. Water from a rock. Birds coming out of nowhere to feed the millions of souls. They've seen manna come down on the ground again and again every day except the Sabbath. They've seen God show up in some miraculous ways. And they still have idols. Brothers and sisters, I've been in pastoral ministry over 20 years. One thing I can tell you is I'm not impressed with the faces we wear on Sunday and the images we present to other believers. All of us have idols of the heart and all of us must surrender them. Now, God, in His mercy and grace, doesn't require us to do it all at one time. Oh, what open-heart surgery that would be. Anyone think they can handle getting rid of all their idols all at one time? I don't know. It's tough work. Oh, it's hard. I remember cutting my idols out of my heart with a blunt butter knife. Oh, the pain of letting it go. I shouldn't say it because... God shows up from time to time and He reveals yet another idol. And the thing about idols is, what's your idol is not necessarily my idol. And this is a mistake a lot of fundamentalist churches make. It assumes that those in leadership might make the decision or, or the, the assumption that these are the major sins. And these are the major sins our church is going to screen out. But everyone in that church may be able to master those sins. But there's still the sin of gossip, envy, that may never get approached. Oh, we don't, we don't smoke. We don't gamble. We don't this. We don't that. And they're great things not to do because, trust me, they destroy lives. But we don't look as carefully over those intangible sins. Slander, gossip, envy, strife partiality that are still happening in congregations. And so it, it, it's, we need to be careful that because someone is mastering a church's, uh, a church's big ones, that they are made to feel that they're okay. 
Spirit of God comes along one day and says, I want this. And here, here's, here's the trick, folks. It's not sin to anybody else. That's the rub. This thing that God may ask for, from you is not a sin to anybody else. But to you, it's an idol. To you, it's an idol. To you, it is an idol. Perhaps in your heart, you've desired, uh, um, I'm going to be, I'm going to be uh, this, uh, the prime minister of the country, let's say. And it is such an idol to you that you've not submitted to discipleship. You've kicked people out of the way. You've done everything. And God comes along and says, give me this desire of yours. For you, it's an idol. For me, it might not be because to me, it's just another way to do ministry. But for you, all your energies, good and bad, all of your motives are tied up in this thing that for you is an idol. And God says, give it to me. Give it to me. And now you will see your flesh come to life. You will see all of your good Christian character slip to the side as you fight God for dominance as to who will be in charge of your life. Paul says, I would, have not, would not have known what covetousness was until the word of God says, thou shalt not covet, and covetousness sprang to life in me. In the same way, when God, by his spirit, comes along and says, give this to me. Oh, you've been a good Christian. You've been a good, 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 good Christian. No one could fault you. And God says, give this to me. And literally, all hell breaks loose. All hell breaks loose. No, sir. No, sir. Folks, been there, done that. That's why I can speak with such clarity. I can speak to this issue with great clarity because God has called me time and time again and say, give it to me, Lyle. And you know what? You look and say, give up what? That's not a sin. Remember, I'm a righteous sinner. I don't do the bad things. Never did. Harder for people like me to get saved. Remember what Paul says? Um, As to the law, blameless. Pharisees, Pharisees trained under Gamaliel. He had this idea that he was this, he was, but listen, he missed Christ for all of that. I did too. Missed Christ for all of my quote-unquote goodness. We need to place our whole self on the altar, dedicating our entire being to God. In practical terms, that means you're deciding to live your life purposefully in a way that glorifies God. Whatever God tells you he wants from you, you give it to him. Romans 6, 1 through 14 says, Likewise, you... You also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your bodies to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your instruments, of, as, and your instruments, and your vessels as instruments of righteousness to God. Friends, how many have been to a funeral? Any of you ever tried to wake that body up? Let's say you didn't try because you've obviously got some sense. Do you think it's possible to wake that dead body up? No. The Bible is telling us to reckon ourselves dead to sin. Why does it say reckon? I'll tell you why. Because though you've been given the Holy Spirit in your life to live by, the old man in you is still very much alive. The sinful nature in you is still very much alive. And the sinful nature still very much wants its way. 
course, those of us been in the faith a little bit longer, we know that word mortification. We need to crucify self. We need to mortify the flesh. We need to put the flesh under the knife because the flesh springs to life when it's not getting its way. The Bible says, reckon yourself dead to sin. Reckon yourself. And these bodies of yours, your, your mind, your, 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 your hands, your feet, everything about you, don't give yourself an opportunity to sin. Don't get in harm's way. Don't get in harm's way. Philippians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. There is no longer I who live, but Christ lives within me. And the life which I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. We are to reckon ourselves dead to sin, not just choosing not to lie with our lips or to steal with our hands, but also not presenting our souls to be vessels of bitterness, hate, envy, and slander. Here's, here's what Ephesians chapter 4, 22 and following has to say. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, that is the old man, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You see, friends, your old man has some deceitful desires. Your flesh has some deceitful desires. I cannot tell you the amount of teens who have gotten themselves in trouble thinking that they weren't getting themselves in trouble. They were just doing this one thing. And... Next thing you know, they're in full-blown trouble. It says, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, <coughs> here's some practical actions now. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truth truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let an unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now here's where I wanted us to get to. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, God, forgave you. You get it. It's not just deciding that we're not going to go and smoke or give up the sweetheart or whatever the other things that even good Christians find themselves involved in. But there's things that seem to go unchecked in churches. Bitterness. That lovely sister, so godly, but she's bitter. She's bitter. She's bitter. And no one checks her because she's godly. The brother inclined to rages, but no one checks him because maybe he heads up some big ministry. There are sins of the soul that also need to be brought to God and consecration must take place. We must be clean vessels, fit for the master's use. There must be a mortification, a crucifying of the flesh. We will do everything possible to enhance our relationship with God. Consecration of ourselves for His glory, that's our part. And then there's His part. 
God's part in sanctification. Brothers and sisters, when you consecrate yourself to God entirely, the Holy Spirit fills you entirely, setting you apart and empowering you to live the life you've committed to living. Now, sadly, some have made anything to do with the Holy Spirit a supernatural, all manner of genuflecting and so forth going on. But friends, my Bible says quite clearly that evidence of being Spirit-filled is a life that is filled with love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That's what my Bible tells me the infilling of the Holy Spirit looks like. Now anybody can do all the movements and speaking in strange languages, but I tell you, it is more, there's more evidence of a life that has been changed by a change in nature and character, seen by love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, that where that life was formerly one of bitterness, wrath, envy, jealousy. Wouldn't you agree with me that that kind of a transformation is more impactful, more, more evidence of being of a person transformed by God than someone who is able to do some interesting moves and, and speak in some interesting tones and languages? As I mentioned before, God wants to cleanse us, and He is best able to do that when we present ourselves, when we've mortified the flesh, and where we've allowed the Spirit to have its way. The Bible says, keep on being filled. It's an ongoing process made easier by the crucifixion of the flesh on a daily basis. Yesterday's victories won't do today because your flesh is still striving for His way. If you're running around in defeat, it may be that you need to let the Holy Spirit do His wonderful work in your life. Let Him have His way with you. Believe me, His ways are ultimately better than yours and mine. Allow the Spirit's sanctifying power to live in your life starting today. As I close, there's another type of vessel that I haven't mentioned. It's a vessel that can be used for good or bad. It generally doesn't care. Here it is. Grocery bag. Seen a few of these, have you? Boy, they have a way of cluttering up my house. Anyone can testify to that? Any homes overrun by grocery bags? In my house, they're everywhere. They're, they're used to bring groceries in, and they're put aside into the wastebasket. You know, it doesn't care what it's used for. It doesn't care. Unfortunately, a lot of people who call themselves Christians are like this grocery bag. Let me encourage you, beloved, to separate yourself for noble purposes by asking God to separate you for His work and for His glory. Remember, your part isn't to make yourself noble. Your part is to cleanse yourself by God's work. You have a part to play, so does the Spirit of God. Your part is to make yourself one that God can use for noble purposes. Mine is a life of constant surrender to God. Constant surrender to God. And seeing God take me to another level of faith and trust, not without great pain. Not without great pain. But God is transforming us into Christ-likeness. And He's not able to do that if we're still holding on to our old lives. 
He's not able to do that if we're still letting the old man have his way. He's not able to make us vessels, holy vessels, fit and used for the Master's purposes until we surrender all that we are and all that we ever hope to be and we leave it with Him and allow His Spirit to do His work in our lives. I'm going to close our time together with a word of prayer. I ask you to bow your heads. and If the Spirit of God has spoken to you and you'd like prayer, I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up. I want to remember you in prayer. You'll be The Lord knows your heart, but you know what? You're taking an extra step and you're saying, Lord, me. Don't just know my heart. Here am I, Lord, saying, I want to make it clear to you that I'm taking a new posture of an intentional sanctification, an intentional moving forward with an attitude of being fit and ready for the master's use and the master's purposes. That requires effort on your part. Paul says, I urge you, therefore, brethren. I urge you. Notice he doesn't command. You see, you can't command someone to live righteously. Anyone ever notice that? It's just not possible to command someone to live righteously if their will is not engaged. So Paul urges them. I urge you, therefore, brethren by the mercies of God, to present yourselves a living and holy sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Master. He says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable uh, purpose for God. And so my encouragement today If you'd like prayer, I want to take us, stand in the place, and take us to the Lord and ask that the Lord would see us, hear us, move on us, that the word that he has declared to us today, we would be serious about the crucifixion of self, the mortification of flesh, and the intentional setting ourselves aside for his purposes. Once again, may I see the hands? Oh, that's wonderful. That's great. That's great. Shall we pray? Father, you've seen our hands. You know the expressed desires of our heart. Lord, we're asking in these moments that these things that you have made perhaps clearer or that you've reminded us of today, you would help us, Lord, now as we take a purposeful, intentional step to work at crucifying our flesh. Lord, the pastor has spoken correctly. We recognize our own fleshly will. We recognize that they're idols of the heart. We, we know what they are. Each of us that have raised a hand can actually name what it is. And so, Lord, in faith we name it. We rest our hands upon it, and in faith we give it to you. We surrender to you our idols. We say, Lord, take Take this thing that would compromise my integrity. Take this thing that would compromise my love of you. Take this thing, Lord, that keeps me shackled and not free to live to the praise of your glory. Take it, Lord. I surrender it all. And now, Lord, I pray that you would give me a discerning spirit that knows when uh, um, adultery of the heart is taking place, when my affections are turned towards those things that are not of you. 
and I put it to the knife. Even as Abraham surrendered his beloved son to you, the son of the promise, and yet, Lord, you tested his loyalty. Does he love his son more than me? Indeed, Jesus has said, if anyone loves father, mother, husband, wife, children more than me, he's not worthy of me. And so, Lord, we would this day lay before you our, 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 our idols, our, our goals that are not purified, our hopes for the future. We lay them at the altar. We say, Lord, take these things. We will let nothing come between our love of you and our devotion of you. Cleanse us. Help us to know how we can be best at mortifying the flesh. And help us to be surrendered to your Spirit. Come now, Holy Spirit. Do a work in our hearts and our minds. Take this newfound dedication and make it real and genuine. May each of us see the fruit of a life newly consecrated to your service. Outfit us, Lord, that we may be chosen vessels, better meet and fit for the Master's use. This is a prayer we make in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please turn to number 611 as we respond to the message that God has given us through His servant today. Let's bow our knees, bow our hearts in humble adoration as we sing. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let
before we close. Uh, Steve, we kind of overlooked you this morning. Uh, we missed you in our greeting, but we welcome you. We thank you for the wonderful opportunity of seeing you back uh, pretty much on your feet. We missed you. We'll be praying for you and your faithful caregiver, Betty. So nice to see you all back. Steve had a leg injury and he's doing much, much better. God bless you. Let us pray. Yes, our gracious Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to be here this morning to worship you as a corporate body of believers, as your children, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we thank you. And having just sung, take our lives and let it be. Oh, Father, may that not just be a song we sing, but may that be the desires of our heart as we lay it all before you, as we seek to be vessels of honor, Oh, Father, may we surrender it all to you. May we allow you to be Lord, Lord of our lives. And in our lives, may you be glorified. We pray that you were pleased to receive our worship, and we thank you that we had such a wonderful time this morning. Father, go before us now. Prepare the way. We, we just ask that you take us safely home and bring us this evening as we uh, uh, come to worship again in song. Uh, we are so grateful that we had this time together. Thank you, Father. We bless you. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>